why don't you grab your Bible, uh, turn to the book of Joshua with me. Joshua 24. Today I've got some stuff that the Lord's put on my heart for the guys. Um, and, um, and it has to do, uh, it's funny because as I was kind of praying through this, there was sort of a, uh, I don't know if it felt a little bit like a rabbit trail, but uh, the Lord just kind of, I was praying about it, and the Lord just kind of confirmed, nope, go down this rabbit trail. And, um, and it starts with just men in general, but it starts to zero in on husbands and fathers and then it really gets into being a father and a good dad. Now, some of you single guys are like, yeah, time to check out on that. Um, but I really don't want you to, and I'll tell you why. Because uh, a lot of times I've noticed something happens to single men, they become unsingle uh, very quickly. Uh, and at their least expected time, uh, they become married and, and they have children and they're, uh, you know, there's, so, so if you're a single guy, you gotta tune in. And then also, we do need more and more uh, older brother kind of mentality. So if, you're, if I'm talking about fatherhood, a lot of this stuff can be applied to um, just being there as a man for a lot of these um, young guys that don't have dads. Um, you know, young men need older men to uh, train and encourage them. And so that's kind of an important thing. So uh, Joshua makes a glorious statement. You know, there's some great men that have said great things. And, um, you know, I think of some of our, uh, leaders in the world, presidents of the United States, uh, that said classic, powerful things. Um, you know, some of my favorites, of course, uh, Patrick Henry. If you recall, uh, Patrick Henry, um, he. Um, uh oh, we don't have any. Um, don't have any graphics, guys. Oh, it's behind me. Okay, got it. The side screens are not. Got it. And also, can I get something in the front here? That'd be awesome too. Um, all right, perfect. So Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. Like we need some guys that'll say that today too, I think. We need to get back to that mentality. Honestly, I, I, I say that with all seriousness. Uh, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he said, um, he said uh, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Uh, that, that's another, that was during the dark days of the depression. Um, you know, JFK said this, uh, you know, ask not. Uh, what you can do for your country, um, uh, ask, or not, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. That was a great line. Uh, and then also, uh, Winnie, my, uh, actually it turns out, uh, Winston Churchill is like my uh, sixth cousin somehow. Uh, I know there's a resemblance, if you can look. Uh, anyway, um, he, I love what he said. You know, in 1941, uh, dark, dark cloud of World War II, he said, never give in. Never, 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 in nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in. Um, that was a great, great line right there. Um, this was a, an interesting one, uh, Bill Clinton. It depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. Uh, he said that during the dark days of, uh, well, whatever, anyway. Um, Sorry, uh, <clears throat> great statements uh, by great men. Um, do you ever wonder, like, are we, are we on a little deficit of great men these days? Like, it just seems like, uh, it's almost like I think of, is it, is it even possible to find a guy who can say something that's powerful and meaningful? Um, and um, 
And you know, I, I love that we have the word of God to turn to. And one of the truly great statements is found here in Joshua chapter 24. Let's, let's preface this with the, the first verse of this chapter, uh, Joshua 24, one, it says, and Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. Interesting that Joshua would have them do that. Come on, all the leaders were presenting ourselves before God. That's quite a, a concept just in and of itself. Leadership of a nation calling themselves to stand before God, acknowledging that God is there and God is in control. Um, but it was during that time, you know, Joshua said some stuff, but, but the, the line that goes down uh, famous and powerful is found in verse 14 and 15. In verse 14 of Joshua 24, it says, now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which be your fathers, which your fathers served, which were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Man, that's huge. I love that. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's, um, you don't hear Mr. Joshua saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right, honey? He doesn't say that. Uh, he's not waiting for you know, Mrs. Joshua's approval. Um, he's not waiting for his kid's approval. He's saying, this is the way it is. Um, this is a man who's standing up and being a man. And I feel like we need more men that are willing to stand up and not just say a great thing, but like Joshua, do a great thing. And what an important thing it is uh, for men to stand up and especially with this concept of, you know, as for me and my house, and, and, and if, it's, if it's you just as a single man, uh, as for you and your house, it's the same. Uh, and, and I believe that there's a, a need desperately for men to stand more than we're seeing it today. Um, there's sort of uh, a problem that I see where um, men have been pushed aside in our you know, culture that's become so feminized. And the, you know, there's a lot of movements and things that have happened. Of, you, know, uh, you know, it's funny because the women's lib movement is a thing of the past. Um, that, that doesn't even seem like a problem anymore because everything else is so crazy. Uh, there's so many crazy things. But um, you know, it's interesting to me how um, you know, the media depicts men as aloof, you know, dumb, disrespected. Um, and I think it's taken a toll on men. Men, a lot of times will just kind of go, well, whatever, if, if society doesn't want us to be men, then whatever, I'll just be in my own little world and do what I wanna do and not worry about it. Uh, that's kind of the way, it's not like we're offended. Um, so many people, uh, you know, get offended, but I've, I've noticed men aren't really offended by what's going on as much as we'll just kind of step in the background and sort of let culture take its course and do its thing. Um, so, um, you know, it's, an, it's, it's causing trouble uh, on how your children view you as men and, and our culture, you know, views men, how your wife views you. If you're a guy who's just kind of saying, well, you know, if that's what people think about us, then we're gonna just let them take, take over. Um, you know, uh, also I've noticed that uh, men, when they step back, they, they end up, you know, delegating their leadership roles to uh, others like coaches and teachers, pastors, youth pastors, um, and they take their hand sort of off the leadership wheel. 
Um, and it's because the world's sort of, you know, the me too, and, and, and um, you know, men are just, uh, you know, animals and, uh, sex, you know, into sex and pornography and, you know, drinking. And so, you know, just push them aside. Let, let guys that are better than us handle our families. Um, you, know, um, you know, it's true that godly men, having them as sort of an additive uh, to your leadership, that's great, but you should never let others replace your role, whether it's your leadership in your family, uh, the leadership in the church. <clears throat> I, I think you could say, um, and this, this won't be well received by a lot, but I think leadership in, in our, our nation. We need strong men to stand up sort of in a Joshua-esque kind of way and say, as for me and my house, as for me and my life, as for me and my country, we will serve the Lord. Um, you know, um, over time, you know, your kids will only listen to those other leaders you've employed to sort of train your kids. And they'll sort of learn to resent you because you really didn't have anything to say or do to, to, um, um, to care for them or train them. Uh, some men make the excuse of not having the biblical knowledge to train their children. What a really bad excuse that is. You and I have the owner's manual right here. Uh, the Bible is here. It tells us exactly what we're supposed to do. And a guy says, oh, I just don't know the Bible. Well, that's because you're stupid. <laughs> you got to stop being stupid. Well, Brent, I don't know how to read. Join the crowd. Like, like it's so funny how people think, oh, Pastor Brett, you just are so, you know, you know the Bible so well. I am not a smart man. Uh, I, I am a guy who's just been able to, by the grace of God, study the Bible my whole life since I was a little kid. And I would recommend that for you too. Um, uh, you know, we got up on all this information, you know. Um, I worry about it. You know, some of, some of us are, we know more about the stats of the NFL than we do about some of the basic, you know, uh, Bible truths about how to be a man and how to raise a family and how to be a good husband. Uh, I think we as men have to own, we got to get the Bible out. Um, and there's so many handy things now for guys. If you're, if you're like me and you're not a big reader, um, you know what's great? There's all kinds of tools for you. There's audio uh, versions of the Bible. Um, there's audio commentaries on the Bible. Like there's Bible teaching everywhere. Uh, you can listen to it. You can watch it on YouTube. Um, man, I, I, I have to say, uh, you young guys, there was a day uh, where, man, we just did it. We were just, we walked around just stupid. Um, thank the Lord for YouTube on, on some of those levels. Um, you can find out how to do anything on YouTube. If you have a 1974 John Deere riding mower and your deck is bent um, and you need to like, how do I get this, these blades to match and everything? There's some guy on there, like 1972 John Deere, uh, you know, 304X, you know, and he'll get up there and show you what you need. You got to beat the daylights out of this deck and get that pin and that sledgehammer, get a big sledgehammer. And like, and like, I'm not kidding. No matter what you want to do, you could rebuild your Land Cruiser. You could rebuild your Volkswagen. Uh, whatever you're doing, it's all there. But, but it's true when it comes to Bible stuff. Like we've got all kinds of instruction and, and access, even if you're not a reader, but you gotta make it your business and you gotta own it. You know, it's a bad excuse to say, well, I just lack the biblical knowledge. I don't really know what the Bible says about this or that. And um, I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but we have to also remember that a lot of guys watch it online right now. I've noticed there's a lot of ladies watching online. All the wives are, let's see what Pastor Brett says <laughs> to all of these guys. So ladies, I know who you are. Um, um, but another thing about men, you know, the reason we take such a passive approach, unlike Joshua, is, is because we know we're sinners. I've noticed that men, uh, you know, uh, because of sin, uh, they feel like they're sort of disqualified at being a good husband 
or, you know, or being a good man. Um, and I, I think they say, well, I've just sinned. I've done this and I've done that. So I'm sort of disqualified. And so they just kind of take a passive backseat role because of their sin. Um, there's a couple things about that. First of all, unrepentant sin, if you've not repented of that sin, that's gonna, that's gonna destroy your influence. That will destroy your influence. Especially, you know, sexual sin like pornography. You know, as a father, as a husband, you know, sin will block you from hearing the word of God, uh, understanding his word. Sin will, will basically neutralize you uh, from, from having any influence whatsoever. And, and um, you feel it inside, you feel the guilt and the shame of your unrepentant sin. And, uh, and, and it sort of makes you unusable. Um, good news, all you gotta do, repent. Just repent of your sins and, and say, okay, Lord, I acknowledge my sins before you that I've failed in this area. And if you confess your sins, what? He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You know, I couldn't be a pastor uh, if it weren't for God's great mercy and forgiveness. Cause I would have to say, well, I wrestle with sin. Um, and we all wrestle with sin and we all fail and we all make mistakes. Um, and, um, and good news, we're, none of us are disqualified um, because we're able to confess and repent of our sins and the Lord is faithful to forgive us. All that to say, um, you know, I feel like we need more Joshua's to say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the Bible gives us all kinds of admonitions. Let me give you a few of my favorites. You know, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 and 14 says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Boy, I love that last phrase of this because a lot of guys I know just like the first part. Oh, yeah, watch all standing firm, act like men, be strong. But then the love part, you kind of go, yeah, I'm not so good at that part, but whatever. No, that's, that's part of the deal, to be strong like men. Um, I've noticed Christian men books tend to err on one side or the other of this equation. Have you ever noticed that? Like there's some men books that's kind of like, yeah, forget the family, just go out and hike and do manly things, get a chainsaw and go fishing and do men, and, and uh, whatever about your family and kids. I've noticed they tend to kind of go that way. And then there's other ones, it's all mushy gushy, you need to soften up and love your family and just be love and charity and, and soften, soften, soften. Um, <laughs> no, that's not the answer either, no. Um, some books make me want to vomit when I read them about the men and what Christian church men are supposed to be. But, but actually, if you read the Bible, it, it gives this perfect balance. Yes, act like men. Uh, and, and the world says, don't act like men. That's toxic masculinity. Uh, don't, don't be into uh, things of strength. And um, I love the, I should have got the Babylon B one where the, you know, um, I forget how it goes, but basically there's this guy, he seems really happy because his wife is serving this beautiful dinner at the table. Very, you know, old school, the wife cooking dinner and serving at the table. The guy's like, oh, he almost looks a little surprised that there's this beautiful dinner. And, and it says, uh, the news, Babylon be of course satirical, um, says the threat of World War III has made women suddenly like the old traditional norms, you know? <laughs> like, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, there's a reason men act the way they do. And uh, the threat of war, and stuff like that is part of the deal. Um, you know, I always cracked up as a children's pastor. There was all these moms that would try to make their sons not, you know, take a stick and act like it was a gun. Um, you know, running around with sticks. And the moms, oh, you can't play, guns are evil. And you can't play with guns. I'm like, mom, your son is gonna play with whatever. He'll find whatever and make it look like a gun. 
And if it's not a gun, it's a bow and arrow. If it's not a bow, it's a knife or a sword. Or like, um, there's something that's kind of innately built into a lot of us that um, kind of has this thing where we're into that stuff. And uh, in certain situations in the world and history, there's a reason why that's probably a good thing that God built that sort of protective, defensive, or even offensive nature because uh, things happen. Um, but standing firm in the faith, be watchful, act like men, be strong like this. We could do a whole you know, morning on just this verse. Maybe we have, but be that as it may, um, Colossians 3.23 is another one that's not directly just two men, but I feel like this, this is such a key on the apathetical man. You know, the guy that I talked about earlier that sort of takes a passive role and he, he, because of his sin or because of the world's culture and the, the saying that male, you know, mas, masculine, uh, masculinity is toxic and all that, men have taken a back seat. But I, I, I see this verse as a reminder to all of us that, you know, whatsoever you do, do it heartily um, as unto the Lord and not unto men. What we do as men, we should do it with all of our might and do it as unto the Lord and not, not worry about what men are thinking. We're, that's not the goal. We have to consider what is God thinking. So when I say apathy, um, I, you know, if the Webster's Dictionary puts apathy as this, a lack of feeling or emotion, um, that's some of you guys. Um, but more importantly, the second definition, the lack of interest or concern. And that's, that's where Joshua, I love that he breaks to that, says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's, there's no apathy there. Um, he's concerned about his family. He's concerned about the nation. You know, he calls them all to serve the Lord. But, but he even kind of says, but even if you don't serve the Lord, I, as for me and my house, we will. He's not waiting for every, everybody else to come alongside of him and help him. He's, he's saying, I'm gonna do this with or without you. Um, what, a, what a powerful leader. I think that's real leadership, by the way. Joshua, what, you know, he had some tough shoes to fill, filling, you know, Moses's role as the leader of the children of Israel. And now um, he's telling the people, he says, you know, you guys serve the Lord. But even if you don't serve the Lord and you serve the gods of the Ammonites or the, or the, um, the pre-flood guys, the gods of them, you can do that if you want to. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He was ready to go alone if, he, if, if need be. We need more men with that sort of, um, you know, kind of, uh, mentality, with or without you, we're going. Um, and that's, that's sort of what Joshua has, no apathy there. Well, all that to say, um, this is where I start to zero in on some things that I see where men have taken way too passive of roles. Um, and I, I start to zero in on some topics uh, that are important. Um, when you look at the topic of marriage, uh, sex, and children, or you know, sex, marriage, and children, and we'll put it in that order because that's the way a lot of times our culture puts it. But one of the things that our culture does with these three topics is we, we completely separate them out. Um, you know, our culture says, have sex. Marriage and sex have nothing to do with each other. That's the way the worldview is um, today. Um, and then, you know, children are, uh, you know, in, in the worldview, uh, children are uh, sometimes considered a problem. And that's why abortion is so rampant. Um, you know, sex, uh, you know, only relationship for sex and children is, oh, what a nuisance. Uh, we wanna have all the sex we want, but if the birth control process didn't work, then you're stuck with a child. That's the way the world looks at it today. Um, we've got this really twisted view of sex, marriage and children. And marriage is becoming not even a thing anymore. Um, so many people uh, you know, live together without being married and could care less about the legal process, the spiritual process of marriage. 
Um, but the Bible handles these three topics as completely the same topic. Um, so, you know, let me remind you when we did our whole thing on fornication, the word fornication, uh, uh, it's the word in the Bible and, and the world laughs at it, you know, oh, fornication, ha, ha, ha. Um, and bands sing about how wonderful it is, fornication and all that. But the word fornication, in the Greek, it's uh, the word porneia, where we get our word pornography. And the Bible says, flee fornication. Uh, that's just what it says, run for your life from fornication. Now, what is by definition fornication? Here it is, uh, it's pretty simple. Anything that's sexual outside of the marriage boundary is called fornication in the Bible. And one of the things that's a little, and this is something we men need to be cognizant of, one of the things the Bible lists as, um, you know, one of those sins, if you just continually practice those sins and try to get better and better at those sins, um, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Remember those scriptures that kind of give us those lists? And you know, a lot of times we check the box, well, I haven't murdered anybody. Uh, you know, murder, uh, adultery, uh, you know, witchcraft. Yeah, don't, don't have a lot of witches in here at Men's uh, Iron Works on, on a Saturday morning, at least I hope not. Um, but, but what do we have? Well, you know, if a guy is committing sexual acts outside of the boundaries of marriage, um, that's called fornication in the Bible. Um, the marriage bed is undefiled, the Bible says. In other words, when you're married, um, that's where sexuality actually is um, created by God to be a wonderful thing. And it's meant to be within the boundaries of marriage. Um, it's so funny, I, I was reading an article uh, last week and, um, and it, was, it was this group of you know, so-called scholars and scientists, you know, psychologists and, and sexual uh, you know, uh, therapists and all that coming together saying, Basically, well, some of the animals in the animal kingdoms are not monogamous. Um, and they were arguing that, they're basically making the argument that, um, that you, know, you should be able to have as many sex partners as you want because the animal kingdom pretty much shows that most of the species they were saying are not monogamous. Um, and I, I thought, what a stupid argument. Um, it always cracks me up when, peop when people, science, biologists or whatever, try to say, we're just another animal on the earth. Um, tell that to the animals. Do you think the animals think we're just another animal? Uh, I mean, we have brains and we walk around and do stuff, invent rockets and sing songs and have televisions and, and we have um, this, this thing called a, a soul and a spirit that's within us. Um, like uh, we have deep, deeper feelings. Like, like I know that there's hints of those things in some animal species, but you know, like the best things we have, dolphins or or chimpanzees, or you know, some of these animals that you're, uh, I, I don't know if you guys are, you scuba divers, have you guys ever interacted with an octopus? Um, octopus are like smart, and they have like personalities, if you don't know this. Uh, I, I digress, I'm gonna tell you a story. Um, I got to dive the USS Coolidge. If you look it up, it's, it's one of the biggest ships that sank in World War II, and it, um, the deepest section is 190 feet, and the shallowest portion is like 60 feet, but it's a, quite a dive, and you can go through the ship. But um, there's this hole in the ship, Tad and I were there diving it years ago, and um, our dive gals, this little Japanese guy, Mayumi, she, she said, I'm gonna have you do something, just, just do what I ask, and, and it'll be great. I'm like, okay, here we go. But she, there was this hole in the ship and you could stick your arm in this hole and you kind of just stick it in there. All of a sudden you feel something wrap around your arm. And then you pull your arm out like this and there's this big octopus hanging on your arm, just kind of hanging on. And then he swims around and, and like, it's an amazing thing. This, this octopus will play with you. You just sit there and play with the octopus for a while. And then all of a sudden, back in the hole. 
uh, and then you stick your arm in again, he'll wrap it in and you pull it back out. Like it's really, it was, it was quite a, like I got a sense that, that that octopus was like smarter than my golden retriever. Like it was, it was an amazing thing. But so, so there is evidence of, of, you know, animals and feelings and stuff like that. I understand that. But nothing comes close to what God has created in humanity. We were created in God's image. Animals were not. Um, we are created in God's image. Um, and so we are not just your family pet. They're arguing that you're no better, your kids in high school are no better than the family dog running around, you know, finding whatever other dog is in heat, uh, that that's just what your kids are gonna do. But as it turns out, God holds humanity to a higher standard in sex. And sex is within marriage. So, so I think one of the biggest things that's destroying men is this um, free love, open sex, open whatever, not defining what fornication is, not acknowledging what God calls sin. Um, and it's really wrecked us as men in a horribly um, measurable kind of way. We need to get away from pornography. We need to get away from sexual sin because it is destroying families and it's undermining your ability to be the, the Joshua that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Um, sexual sin is largely messing us up on that. So when the world separates these out, sex, um, marriage, children, they act like they're totally separate, unrelated issues. The Bible connects them completely. Um, there is no sex until marriage and kill, uh, if you really wanna go with the Bible's way. And children are a beautiful result of a marital relationship and, and the physical romance part of a, of a marriage. This is the way God ordained it and it's what God's word says um, it, it is. So the Bible links these. And, and so the world says, yeah, you're, you're a prehistoric antiquated dinosaur to believe that. You're a wacko. Um, meanwhile, it doesn't take much to notice how horrible the world is working out when it comes to sexuality uh, marriage and divorce, children, the health of people, what's going on in the world. Um, let me give you just some quick ones. One, one third of all children that are conceived in America are aborted. Um, one in three children are aborted. Up, uh, one third of all births, uh, one in three children that are born uh, don't have a father even listed on the birth certificate. Did you know that? Um, one in three. No father on the, on the, on the birth certificate. Um, you know, by the way, the, the, our culture says kids don't need fathers. Um, you can have two mommies or two daddies or you can have just a single parent and that's just perfect. Now, if you're a single parent, you got the hardest job in the world. I'm not, I'm not putting down the single parent. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I do believe God can do amazing things. I'm not talking about single parents as much. I'm talking about the problem with having to be a single parent. It's not an easy chore. Um, and it's also statistically, apart from God, it's really pretty much an impossible task. Um, I, I, you know, I always crack up when people think, well, Brett, you need to support the single parent. Well, I, I do, but I can't support single parenting. Um, I, I support people staying married. Get married, you, you don't have sex till marriage, get married with someone that you're committed to for the rest of your life. This is what the Bible says. Um, and then stay with them. Well, bro, what if I don't like it anymore? That's your own fault. You're stupid. You got to change that. Um, the Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you fall out of love, I, I hate it. I just don't really love her anymore. Um, it's like, well, that's your own fault. Um, you, you know, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. If you've been pouring your treasure into other women or pornography or golf or motocross or anything more than loving your wife, you're going to fall in love with other things. So there's this thing where marriages, 
um, are, you know, the people act like, well, I just don't love her anymore. So then they break up and then the children are dealing with stuff. And I, I, it's just heartbreaking to see. But 40% of children tonight will go to bed without a father in the home, 40%. That's four out of 10 kids don't have a dad uh, living in the house. And our culture just acts like that's just non, a non-issue. Um, man, I could talk about stuff that we could get into real complicated things, but you know, with, with um, various people groups and even ethnicities and what have you, the, the marriage, divorce rates and children being raised, um, it's heartbreaking. So many kids are uh, underprivileged. Um, and it's so funny how the world talks about underprivileged children, but um, nobody wants to talk about absentee dads, dads that are just not even there at all, or dads that are there, but are not good at being dads. Um, I would make this argument, almost every social ill faced by America's children is related to fatherlessness. Um, can I just give you really fast one, six of them? Number one, poverty. Um, the, the social ills related to fatherlessness. Um, poverty is a big one. Did you know young children living with unmarried mothers are five times more likely to be poor and 10 times more likely to be extremely poor? Like that's, that's a problem if, if you know, if, uh, if you're a dad and you're, you know, you got divorced and your kids are being raised by a single mom, congratulations pops, your, your kids are very much more likely to live in, in poverty and be extremely poor. Also on the issue of drug abuse, <coughs> um, drug and alcohol abuse, the US Department of Health and Human Services states fatherless children are at a dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse. Um, um, and especially in the area of uh, drug abuse for teenagers. It's, uh, it's, that's going crazy right now if you're reading and following the statistics on that. Um, and death because of drugs and the fentanyl issue right now. Like we can't even begin to touch that one. It's, it's horrifying what's happening in our world. But um, the, there's a definite huge connection to the lack of men and fathers being a part of a kid's life and the drug issues. Um, also psychology, the emotional help, health of a kid. A study of, on nearly 6,000 children found that children from a single parent home had more physical and mental problems than children who lived with two married parents. Um, additionally, boys in a single parent home were found to have more illnesses than girls in a single parent home. Uh, there's a frailty in a young boy uh, physically and emotionally that um, happens to a young boy that doesn't have an active father in his role. Um, this is where some of you single guys, I feel like, man, if you could sort of own this a little bit and say, well, man, there's all these, these young boys that are growing up, um, that's where, you know, that's where coaching, uh, I, I, am th I, I am arguing that fathers shouldn't turn all the responsibility to coaches or, or youth pastors or, or those things, but man, that's where the need for good, strong Christian men, uh, you know, who's not, you know, some pedophile. See, that's, that's the problem today. We're so corrupt as a, 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 it's almost makes you nervous thinking about, you know, a, a big brother program or, or you know, older men helping younger men. Like there's so much corruption, but that's where you know, I think the church needs to step up and do things well. You know, three out of four teenage suicides occur in households where there's a, a, a parent has been absent. Uh, that's, that's most suicides happen in a single parent situation. Educational achievement, uh, studies involving 25,000 children. This is a huge study. Um, uh, nationally representative of data sets. Children who lived with only one parent had lower grade point averages 
poor attendance record and high, higher dropout rates <clears throat> than students that lived with both parents. Crime, I mean, we could just go on and on. In a study using national probability sample of 1,636 young men and women, it was found that older boys and girls from female, uh, female-headed households are more likely to commit criminal acts than their peers who lived with two parents. Um, <laughs> crime. Um, sexual activity and teen pregnancy uh, is the sixth one I'll cover. Adolescent females between the ages of 15 and 19 years reared in homes without fathers are significantly more likely to engage in premarital sex than adolescent females reared in homes with both mother and a father. Also confused sexual identity. Boys who grew up in fatherless homes are more likely than those in father present homes to have trouble establishing appropriate sex roles and gender identity. Um, you know, it's interesting because um, we have, uh, it's such a challenge, you know, um, for, for people that are uh, trying to raise kids as a single parent, but it does take a mother and a father. And, and that's, if there's ever a reason to stay together, it's to care for and love on your kids um, because statistically your kids will do so much worse if they're in a single parent home. Um, you know, it's interesting because one thing I'm seeing in the church, and I'm just gonna call, call some, some of you guys out maybe on this one. Um, more and more, um, as, as the church has grown, I've seen a lot of these young kids come to church with their parents. And this is sometimes both mom and dad are in the room, or it's often a single mom or a single dad, but um, I'm amazed what, what parents let their kids do here at church in the sanctuary. Um, I see things that would have been certain death for me <laughs> happen every Sunday here. You know, you walk in and there's some kid with his hoodie on and he's slouched down in his chair and he's just kind of, and he looks as bored as he could ever be um, because he's in church with that dumb pastor up there talking. I get it. I understand why a teenager would sort of act like that. But the problem is, mom and dad, you don't let your kids act like that. Um, you know, it's amazing. If I would have slouched in church, I would have been dead. D-E-D, dead. I would have been like, like as soon as we got home, death. Um, I was taught by my dad and dads, you gotta start doing this. I, 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 I mean, I, this is 101, man. You gotta teach your kids to, uh, whether they're in school or in church or wherever they are, um, to engage and to be a par- participant. What if they don't wanna be? Uh, who cares? That's not part of the discussion. Um, and, and you don't sleep through a church. I feel really horrible. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, if you guys were at the, I think it was the eight o'clock service. Do you remember the teenagers that were lined up against the wall over here? And see, what, I, what happened there is I was, uh, I call people out uh, sometimes. And the reason I do that is it works. For the next year, everybody's afraid to do anything in the sanctuary. Like I get big payoff from that. Uh, but I only do that if, if I feel like I've lost the congregation. Uh, that's when I call people out. Cause I was sitting here teaching and I just saw this whole section of the congregation it was just over. I was like, uh, where, why, what's everybody looking at? And why is nobody listening? And there was just, there was just four teenagers lined up against the wall over here. Uh, and, and I was looked over and I was like, man, um, uh, you know, I wonder what they're doing over there. And they're elbowing each other and looking nervous. And I was just like, it was just weird. Um, and, um, and so I, I just said, hey, can I help you guys? And they're like, no. Um, and I could tell they were stunned that I actually stopped the teaching and started talking to them. I think they're, you, you talking to us? Um, 
And what had happened there is, uh, the, 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 I think it was the poor mother saw her four teenager kids that were with her falling asleep, slouching during the service, and she kept trying to wake them up. We, we looked at the video later. Um, uh, and the poor mom was trying to get these kids to wake up and not slouch and stuff. So she finally said, stand up and stand up against that wall. So that was the mom who made it. So when I told them, hey, why don't you guys have a seat? They're like, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna sit down and disobey our mother or do what the pastor? Like I could tell they were like, what a dilemma. Um, now, uh, bless the mom's heart. I understand what she's doing. She probably should have thought through the, have the kids stand in front of the whole congregation. Uh, that was a problem for me. Um, so we, I understand what she was trying to do. Um, bless her heart. But um, you, you know what I saw lacking in that situation? I don't know, uh, you know, um, there needs to be strong men uh, stepping in and saying, Junior, uh, you need to you know, not act like that in church. And, uh, and, and you know, that, that's just a hard thing. Sometimes that's hard, but we need men. We need men in the church who are helping single moms. Um, uh, hopefully, you know, we're able to reach into that little situation and try to help those kids understand, hey, when you come to church, don't be playing video games on your phone. Uh, uh, it's amazing what we see some of you guys doing. You think nobody sees, but we see you booking your, you know, vacation on travelocity.com during the teaching back there. Some of you guys are doing it right now. Like, <laughs> it was the Holy Spirit that told me that. Uh, you guys are, um, I don't know, maybe you're not, but we've seen that. We've seen guys, men, grown men, uh, booking their vacation during times at church. And there's a couple things I would say to you. Number one, if you're a brand new uh, person to Athey Creek and you're not a Christian, man, we're glad you're here. Um, and uh, we hope that someday you see the value and the importance of God's word. If you're an old school Christian and you're here doing that, get out. I'm serious. You're thinking I'm not serious. I'm serious. If you're an old school Christian and you're doing your travelocity in church, uh, that's horrible. You're setting a horrible example. We don't need men like you around here. We want men at Athey Creek that are on fire for Jesus Christ. <laughs> we need that. Uh, you know what, we need that because, because there's so many people coming in that aren't saved, that don't know what a Christian looks like. And, and, and one of the worst things that can happen is if a world com, the world comes in and says, what's this Christianity about? And they see old school Christians doing travelocity or playing video games during church or just being weird, doing stuff that's not godly men saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You're showing them a good reason why not to be a Christian, why not to follow Christ. And, and that's why I, I, I put it on the, the mature Christian men. We shouldn't be messing around these days. We should be an example of believers in faith and in love and in um, strength and in power and all these things that the Bible tells us. Stand up, act like men in faith, but also in love. Like this is what we're called to do. So that, that's kind of a thing that we need to be uh, uh, more aware of. We need men to stand up like Joshua, lead in their homes, uh, lead in their churches, um, and, uh, and there's some key things, by the way, when it comes to being a man who's in leadership, whether you're a dad or a man at church setting the pace and the tone, um, there's a lot of eyes watching us as men. Let, let's, let's be good examples. Let me go over a few key things to remember. I, I've got a lot here, so we'll just see how far we can get. Um, number one thing that you should remember about this, most of what your children learn is caught, not taught. I think this is a huge thing that men maybe don't understand. We think we can 
sort of teach everything to them, but that's, that's you know, that, that's wrong. You know, the Bible uh, tells us, you know, as, as dads particularly, don't provoke your children to wrath. One of the quickest ways to make your kids mad at you, dad, is for you to teach them one thing, but to do another. Um, sort of tell them, here's what I expect of you, but then you don't even expect that of yourselves. And so the best thing, I learned more from my dad by what he did than what he said. Now, because my dad was a man of integrity, is a man of integrity, um, I was able to oftentimes see both. I, I'd, he'd say, do this, Brett, but I'd also see him doing that himself. That gives teeth to what he was actually saying. Um, but a lot of men are gumming their children to death because there's no teeth. Um, they say, read your Bible, and your dad's not reading their Bible. Um, you know, be kind to your wife, be good, to, be nice to your mother when you're not being nice to your wife yourself. Uh, your kid's gonna blow you off as a big hypocrite and will learn to not like you and not listen to you. Um, dad, if you're poke, smoking pot and looking at porn, uh, being an alcoholic, don't expect your kids to do well. That's just a mathematical equation as sure as the sun rises and sets every day. Um, you gotta be uh, one who shows, not just not just telling them what to do, but uh, most of what your children learn is caught by your doing it. Then the teaching part comes in second, I believe. Um, I love how Paul said in, what was it, uh, Acts chapter 20, when he was talking to the elders at the church of Ephesus, he said, um, we have both shown you and taught you. And I like that order. He, he says, we've shown you and taught you. Show and tell is kind of the way and the order that that should um, happen. Um, another key uh, thing to remember uh, is, um, you know, raising children is the dad's responsibility. Um, again, I, I need to remind us that um, it's, it's not, you know, the youth pastor's responsibility or, or the pastor or the coach responsibility. And like I told, I've seen where men sort of hand that off to everyone else, even to mom. How many dads say, well, mom, she's the stay-at-home mom. She's gonna be teaching your kids. Um, the Bible doesn't tell the mom that it that, that rests squarely on her shoulders. Um, the Bible actually says it's the men. Ephesians 6, 4, you fathers, <clears throat> provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Um, first, bring them up. It, it, the idea is that's your responsibility as a man, as a dad, as a father, to bring up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Would you remember the word nurture? I've marked that as a yellow because I want you to um, uh, tuck that away for uh, just a few minutes for now. Uh, so the word nurture, is that a word that comes naturally for you? I wanna be a nurture. It doesn't, that, that's not a word I would use uh, for in my description of myself. Uh, that's a mom sort of thing. So a lot of you guys are like, yeah, whatever. Bring them up in the way of the Lord and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That just sounds a little weird for me. But um, the Greek word is not weird and I'll show you uh, in a second. But the idea is bringing them up is the dad's responsibility. So it's, it, don't, don't think it's mom's job. That's one of the hugest mistakes men make. Um, number, um, number three, um, you know, you're more than just a provider of money. So many men make the mistake thinking, I'm the guy that pays for everything. And as long as I'm doing that, then honey, you're raising the kids and you take part. I've got the financial half and you've got the raising the kids half. Big, huge goof. Um, a lot of guys quote this almost to defend themselves in this. First uh, Timothy 5.8, if any man provide <clears throat> not for his own, that his idea is his own family, and specifically for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. 
Uh, it's funny how the Bible doesn't really use this kind of language. This almost seems like a Muslim sort of, you know, you're, uh, uh, you're an infidel, death to the infidels. Um, but what the Bible's actually saying <clears throat> is um, you are worse than someone who has denied the faith uh, in Christ. If you're a man who doesn't provide um, uh, for his own home. Um, if any man provide not for his own. Now, we just wrongly think, oh, that's money. Provision, money. When it says, if any man provide not for his own home, well, if he doesn't give money, then he's a failure. Well, that's part of the thing, but the idea is provide is not just a money term here. The, the provision here is all things. The man is supposed to bring everything. He's supposed to cover everything in his household. And none of this rests on the mom, believe it or not. Now, moms are huge and important and they do play such a key role, but it's the man's responsibility to own the whole enchilada, not just the money thing, but raising kids and the admonition of the Lord, as we um, mentioned earlier. It's not just monetary uh, provision. Um, um, and, um, and the idea of this word nurture, let's go back to that just for a second. Um, the word nurture uh, is, uh, uh, means to train, discipline, and punish. That's the Greek word. The Greek word is paideia. And it means to, dis it's not a little cuddly, you know, breastfeeding word. Um, nurture means to train, discipline, and even punish. And this is the man's responsibility. It's not mom's responsibility. Um, it's the man's responsibility. I'm not saying the mom can't punish the kids, but two things need to happen. Dad's gotta be 100% backing mom. And um, you say, you mean, if my wife feels like this needs to be disciplined, I should always back her up on that. I'm not saying that. Sometimes you need to step in and say, this is a worthy cause of punishment and this one is not. And you're supposed to take that in, and, and encourage and, and be on the same page as your wife uh, in agreement with how they should be punished. That's a thing where you submit one to another as husband and wife when it comes to what you're doing with discipline but it still rests squarely on the shoulders of the man to be the one nurturing, paideia, train, discipline, punish. Again, you know, that Ephesians 6, 4 uh, is the idea there. Um, and because of that, I put this on the list of key things to remember. Not spanking your children is abusive. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is not me saying this, uh, by the way. Um, this is what the Bible teaches. Um, I'll tell you about that here in a second. But when, when it says, to remember the scripture where it says, uh, raising your kids and the admonition of the Lord, the word admonition, uh, the Greek word for that is nuthasia, um, which means to provide instruction and correct behavior, um, to instruct, teach, uh, and, uh, and discipline is the idea there. Now, um, now, this idea of spanking your children, first of all, I gotta always say the caveat because there's always the 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 people out there that thinks that spanking is abusive. And I'm saying the opposite, not spanking your children is abusive. Um, well, Brad, I just don't agree with you. Um, you don't agree with the Bible. Let's just be clear on that. Uh, you can say you don't agree with me, but you don't agree with God's holy word if you're saying spanking is abusive. Now there's some important obvious things about spanking. Nothing God says in his word and nothing I say this morning makes allowance for true child abuse. 
Child abuse is inexcusable. Jesus was the lover and protector of little kids and we should be as well. And that's, that's always my heart and it should always be a dad's heart. Anyone who truly abuses a child, in my opinion, they deserve everything the law can throw at them. And I, I believe that. Um, to, to permanently or even temporarily injure a child for any reason is a wicked act. Um, spanking can be misused in so many ways. Love must still be the primary factor when you're dealing with any child for any reason, love. Spanking can be too harsh. Uh, one of the biggest abuses of spanking is inconsistency. Um, you can spank too late, too hasty, too much. So there is abuse of spanking, of course, obviously. And boy, that gives the world ammo to say spanking is evil, all spanking is evil. And so it's because of all the abuses of spanking. Um, the only absolute authority on how to raise children should be found in the word of God, in the Bible. Um, you know, I may make mistakes and teach things incorrectly. Don't look at me as the final authority on how to raise your kids or raise kids in the church. Look to God's word. It's always true. Raise your kids according to the book and you'll be doing good. So let me go over some things about spanking, misconceptions about spanking children. And I know we're, we, we started way out here and now I'm zooming in to some of you dads uh, of, of uh, young children, maybe even some grandpas in here that still need to remember some of this stuff and help train your kids how to raise their kids. Uh, I'm giving ammo for that. If you're a future father, uh, and this is stuff you need to tuck away. You will use this someday. I was talking to a guy just this morning and he's saying, yeah, well, I was listening to this stuff, Brett, when you were teaching this stuff when I was in high school. Uh, and I still uh, use that, that biblical truth uh, today as he's raising a, a wonderful family. Um, but um, some of the misconceptions about spanking, let me, let me just say this. Number one, that spanking is an act of hatred. Um, Proverbs chapter three, verse uh, 11 and 12. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the, the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Uh, even as a father, the son whom he delighteth. Um, the word correcteth there, do you remember in the book of Hebrews, uh, the author of Hebrews quotes from the Proverbs here, and he uses the word instead of correction, the idea is spanking. Whom the Lord loves, he spanks or chastens uh, betimes is the idea there. Um, uh, notice that God corrects the people that he loves. And man, um, I remember my dad teaching to me this when I'd get a spank and he'd say, Brett, you know, someday I'm not gonna spank you. And I'm like, oh, I look forward to that day. Because uh, I got to spank it every day in the fourth grade. I said, this, I said this years ago, I said this at a sermon, I got spanked every day in the fourth grade and, and it was. My fourth grade was my rebellious years. Um, you think I'm joking, man, I was, I was doing all kinds of bad. My teacher showed up on our doorstep like four times during fourth grade, knocking on the door, wanting to talk to my parents about their son's horrible behavior. Fourth grade. Um, but I told this to the congregation years ago. And one, one evening we were at a big family dinner and my mom and everybody's around and, and we were talking about stuff. And my mom said, oh, Brad, I just love listening to your teaching. But you know, we, we didn't spank you every day in the fourth grade. That, you make us sound like abusive and we didn't spank you every day. And, and I said, no, remember, you know, Mr. Beach and the, when I was selling needles as drugs and remember I was in the, the murder gang and remember all that stuff in fourth grade. And, and my mom said, yeah, but every day. And, and I, I, I just looked at my dad. I said, and, um, and I said, dad, you know, and, and my dad just, he was sitting at the head of the table, just kind of as he does, he's kind of listening to us talk about this. And my mom said, honey, did we spank Brett every day in the fourth grade? And my dad just was quiet and everybody's listening. He said, every day. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> uh, uh, 
But I remember when my dad, he, would, he said, someday I'm not gonna spank you anymore. And I said, oh good, that's gonna be great. I can't wait for that. I think it was like, probably when I turned nine, I think was maybe my last spanking when I was nine, um, which was right after fourth grade or 10. I think it was after 10. Because um, um, somewhere around fifth grade is when I think they, they you know. But, uh, but the thing that's funny about that is my dad said, yeah, but I'm not gonna spank you, but that's where the Lord takes over. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? He said, Brett, you think my spankings are bad. Wait till you're a full grown adult and the Lord, he chastens you or corrects you or spanks you. It's a whole nother ball game. And I remember thinking, gulp. Now you guys that are full grown men, you know, uh, yeah, that's kind of true. I'd rather have a little swat on the rear end uh, than, than some of the stuff I've had to deal with because of my bad behavior. Um, it, 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 but actually I think the truth is the dad that, chastens his kid early, they don't have as much to deal with as an adult. The, um, you know, the Lord does this. Um, man, Proverbs 13, 24. He that spareth his rod hates his son, but he that loves him chasteneth him betimes. The word betimes is a great word that we don't use anymore. It's the King James word, but the word is betimes. It means consistently. It's, there's, there's a consistency uh, to the spanking. And the Bi this is the Bible. So if you're saying that you disagree with spanking, again, you're saying you hate what the Bible actually has to say. To withhold the rod of correction is, according to the Bible, to demonstrate a hatred for your child. You're basically saying, go on, son, daughter, head yourself into that direct direction of ruin and destruction. I could care less. That's what the Bible says. Um, but uh, um, betimes means consistency. That's kind of the idea. Um, also, uh, misconceptions about spanking, um, that, that control over your child can be gained later. This is a big mistake some of guys make where they, they think, well, you know, when they're 13 or 14, that's when we'll start working on some of these little attitude problems. And uh, when they're teenagers, um, uh, you dads that have had kids, you realize, oops, yeah, I, I, I feel so bad because I don't know what to tell a dad when he's like, yeah, my, my kid's 14, 15, and he's really acting up. And, and, um, and, you know, can you help me, Pastor Brett? And part of me will say, sorry, can't, nope. Uh, you should have talked to me when they were three because you can deal with this stuff before they're 10. And you can teach them to be respectful, listening, uh, agreeable, uh, mentally sharp, headed the right direction. Uh, man, there's, there's a, you've got a window, dad, that's actually real doable. It's not easy, but it's still doable. Once they get to be teenagers, man, good luck with that. Um, you, you hopefully have dealt with so much. I'm not saying teenagers are perfect. Uh, teenagers are a challenge, but it's way easier to do it when they're, when they're small and teach them a worldview and an attitude and an action. Um, we usually express this excuse of not correcting our children as stages that they're going. Oh, they're just going through a stage. Um, and, and by the way, uh, you do see stages in a, in a child, um, um, you know, but we've created, just ask, you know, what, what's some of the stages? The terrible twos. Uh, people talk about the terrible twos. Um, but I, I believe that the two-year-old age is a really fun time as a parent. Um, they're high energy, yes. They're like little wind-up toys, tearing things apart, yep. Especially the male gender. Um, it was so funny watching my girls, you know, raised in, in the church, uh, in, in our home. Um, there, it was so much easier in the two-year-old category. But Joey got his name, uh, nickname, Destructo Joe. Man, he was like this little crazy guy running around the house and everywhere went, 
blinds were hanging halfway off the windows and things were ripped and torn and shattered. And, you know, it's like, there goes Destructo Joe, you know, a uh, whole nother deal, terrible twos. But they're not terrible twos. Um, basically the word of God tells us that's, that's, those are signs you need to step in and redirect. Uh, don't just use, well, they're in the terrible twos and they'll, they'll come out of it. Um, each child has sort of a window of hope. Um, would you write that down if you're a father or a grandfather? Each child has a window of hope. Um, I think that's an important thing. Uh, I don't just make that up. That's Proverbs 19, 18. Chasten thy son while there is hope and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Um, biblical dip- discipline is based on the concept the world hates and that is that we're all born sinners the sinful nature of all people. The world doesn't agree with that. The world says, oh, we're all basically good. Bible says, no, we're all basically bad and we have a sin nature that we're born with. Um, and, it's, and, and spanking and discipline is based on the biblical recognition that all people are sinful. Naturally become selfish. People naturally become hateful, cruel, attitude. Parental discipline creates an atmosphere in which selfish behavior uh, becomes uncomfortable and therefore it is avoided. That's the idea. You make bad behavior uncomfortable for the child. Um, number three, uh, misconceptions about spanking. Um, that crying is to be avoided at all costs. Oh, I've seen, it's worse than ever now where moms, if their little child cries, it's like the end of the world. Oh, our junior is crying. Can you please look at his tears? Um, I, I was, this is years ago, so it's none of you guys. I'm not talking about any of you guys, but um, Deb and I were over at some people's house one night um, and we were having dinner, it was a nice time, but their little boy fell down and knocked his head against the wall. And honestly, like on the DEFCON scale with Joey's head uh, as a little two or three-year-old, it was like DEFCON one kind of fall. I mean, I remember Joey falling of course, I was probably involved in that one. I think we were wrestling. But um, uh, I remember one, we have the, in, our, in our house, we had this perfectly round spherical hole in our uh, sheetrock uh, where Joey's head kind of uh, made this perfect spherical dent in the sheetrock. It was kind of funny. Um, and I think we were wrestling or whatever. But, um, but I remember when that happened. Joey was the kind of kid, he's like, boom. And he's like, he'd like, look at me. And he'd kind of shake it off like this. And, okay, let's keep wrestling, you know. That was just Joey. I mean, he was not a crier, you know. But this little boy just dunk, barely knocked his head on the wall. And, ah, and I could tell. It was one of those total fake cries. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where the little kids, like, he's looking at mom. You know, it was like, oh my goodness. Well, not only, this was so pathetic. Not only was the mom flipped out. She was running around looking for the first aid kit. And, oh, and the dad's like, oh, 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 are you little, are you okay? And he was, I was just like, they were like hyperventilating, you know? And, and Deb and I was like, your kid's gonna be fine. Like uh, the Lord gave him a hard head, he's gonna be fine. But they just bought the big crocodile tears, hook, line, and sinker. And I thought, this poor kid has a bad future. I'm, I'm not kidding. That, like there's, there's stuff, you know, fake cries or, or mad cries. Kids put on the mad cry thing um, and um, parents fall for it every time. The Bible says, um, you know, like, like we read earlier, just a reminder, this is the same verse, Proverbs 19, 18, but it says, chasten thy son while there's hope and let not thy soul spare for his crying. The Bible gives us everything we need to know about this. Um, so um, by the way, 
Uh, natural crying, like real crying, tends to wear itself out in a few minutes. Did you know that, Dad? And you can help your wives understand this. Natural, real crying wears itself out in a few minutes. If it's honest, it leaves the child usually quiet, more reserved for a period of time. Um, and this is a good time to let the child know that they're still loved and you're there for them. But while they're giving those fake mad tears and angry tears or freaked out tears, um, that's where you don't play the game. Uh, just, just a heads up. Number four, I'm just giving you, I'm, we're exceedingly practical here. Misconceptions about spanking that my child is naturally good. I already kind of mentioned this. Um, I would say young children indeed are innocent, uh, but they also have an inborn sin nature that leads them to do wrong stuff as soon as they're able. Um, you don't have to teach a child how to lie or be selfish or rebel against authority. That comes very naturally. Um, and in the Bible even says this, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Um, you know, infants don't need to be spanked, uh, by the way, just a, a heads up, infants. Um, there's an age where a child's old enough to start to understand what you're talking about and what you're doing. Um, and, um, and I think that's an important thing. Uh, you know, they can't make the connection between their action and the punishment. But as soon as they're old enough to make that connection, the action and the punishment uh, is, I, I believe spanking an infant is wrong and cruel. Um, but their actions can be corrected in very gentle ways uh, at that initial time. But be cognizant of that. Um, number five uh, misconception on spanking, that spanking is harmful to children. Um, and yes, it can be harmful by misuse or abuse. Um, uh, I talked about that earlier, but um, spanking itself is harmful as a false teaching, I believe, from Satan himself. Um, you know, uh, you know, the false teaching of no spanking children, um, I think eventually in, uh, destroys the inner discipline that so many people, uh, it causes the breakdown of not only the child, but I believe that we're seeing the breakdown of all the social fabric um, that holds our culture together. Um, see, the problem is some of you might say, well, Brett, I wasn't spanked and look at me. And I'd say, exactly. Like there's a lot of people that I was never spanked and look, I'm perfectly fine. But it's funny, they don't see it. They're still stubborn and rebellious and whatever should have been worked into their, just their general social IQ uh, should have been in there, never was really worked in there and they're the last ones to know it. Um, I, I, I was uh, talking to somebody the other day and they're like, yeah, but they never spanked their kids and, and look at them now. And, and as I looked at their kids, they were all in total, they're, they're like, they don't like the church and they, they think the church is just a messed up organization and they, they're, they're critical of everyone. I was like, wow, yeah, I see a lot of reasons why that child should have got spanked when they were young enough. Now it's too late. And they're adults that are, are awkward and, and somewhat dysfunctional. Um, and, and the person who wasn't spanked, who's saying, but look at me, I'm amazing. Um, they're the, often the one who doesn't really see it. Um, <laughs> it's interesting because it's not only um, the idea of a person having a social IQ or uh, being able to be a good general person. Um, it also leads to salvation, spanking. What do you mean, Brett? Well, again, not me, Proverbs 23, 13, withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. <laughs> now, those who hate or misuse scripture, they love verses like this because they love the word beat. And they say, see, the Christians are abusive. They beat their children. 
<laughs> well, the, the, to beat a child does not mean to cruelly injure. The word beat there means, uh, the, the Hebrew word, to uh, strike in a swinging motion. That's what it means. And it also is using an implement. Let me just say this. Some people say, Brett, using a, a paddle is abusive. No, I, I, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says using your hand, that would be abusive. When, when I was with my children, I wanted my hand to always be an instrument of kindness, fun, protection, uh, strength, uh, tickling. Uh, I wanted my hand to be always a positive to my kids. That's why the Bible says, spare the rod, you spoil the child. The rod of correction is what the Bible always talks about. Um, and the, the rod is, it doesn't have to be like a baseball bat. That's, that's not what you should use. Um, you use a paddle that's gonna do more of a little light sting and not do a hurtful, harmful, you know, bruising or whatever like that. People need to be smart about these things. And, and so anti-Bible people love to talk about verses like this. But if you, um, if you realize that, man, God seems to have created this fatty flesh on the bottom of, of, a, of a child, you know, applying the board of correction to the seat of learning. Um, um, like, it's like God invented it for, for that almost. Um, and um, and to, to be able to discipline a child without injury. Um, God says, when you spank a child, he will not die. You say, now what is that supposed to mean? Um, the idea is, you know, the properly applied spanking will not kill him or cause permanent harm to him. But also um, spanking is the, the best way to ensure an adult with maturity and integrity um, and, and, um, and to learn to use good judgment and things to avoid when they, when they are spanked um, very much. And, and so that's the next, and we're getting almost close to the end here, misconception is that a child's behavior and spiritual condition are unrelated. That's a misconception. Um, when, you, when you are ch training children and raising up kids, um, you know, uh, some people uh, think that they can skimp on paddling and spanking because when they get saved, the, everything will work out just fine. Um, they sort of think their kids accepting Jesus as the antidote to bad behavior. But I believe not spanking a child limits a person's spiritual maturity. Uh, the two are very connected. Um, Good discipline, listen to this, this is important. Good parental discipline for a child makes a child more ready to accept salvation. Some children never get saved because they were never disciplined in a godly way. I believe that's a problem. Um, and that's why Proverbs 23, verse 14 says, thou shalt beat him with the rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. Um, it doesn't mean that you're gonna spank a kid so he'll go to heaven. It means that he'll be more uh, able to uh, understand punishment, discipline, and eternal death and hell. Um, I remember when my dad would say, Brett, um, you know, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Um, and I'd say, yeah, so why are you paddling me? Like I was starting to have a logical argument against paddling. Um, I even tried to misuse scripture with my dad. The Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child. You understand? Know I mean? That was my take on it. This is what you're supposed to do. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Um, but that's not really what it meant. Um, anyways, uh, but the idea is um, sensibly understood. This verse teaches that the, the rod leads to disciplined child is naturally gonna be then more open to salvation and less likely to take a path to destruction. Um, uh, and, and that's an important thing. And my dad used to teach me, Brett, redemption. And I remember one time I got a spank and I was like, oh, here it comes. And, and um, suddenly I, I heard the crack of the paddle but I didn't feel the sting of its weaponry. I was like, what's going on? Whack, whack, 
whack, whack. And I was like, uh, what's happening here? And I realized my dad was spanking his own leg with full force. And I was, I was somehow spared. And then we sat up as we always did. And he would then talk and hug me and tell me what I'd done wrong and remind me and th- that I'm forgiven. But this time was different. He was the one who got the spanking, not me. And then my dad said, you know, um, this is the good news of what Jesus did for us. And he explained the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross and took the penalty for me. And, just a very, and I remember thinking, wow, I got off scot-free. But Brett, that's horrible. Your dad let you off scot-free. Well, ultimately, that's what Jesus does. He lets us off scot-free because of the cross and salvation from the cross. And the idea of knowing that there needs to be penalty for, and punishment and pain for sin, that's something that a spanked child starts to understand so that when they understand the ultimate penalty for all of life of sin is death and hell, but then to understand that that punishment was taken on our behalf, a, a child who was spanked regularly will value that so much more, I believe, than a person who just thinks that you can do whatever you want and get away with it all the time. They're not gonna value a substitutionary punishment from the cross. Um, all that to say, um, you know, Proverbs 29, 50, or wait, let, let me give you one more here. Uh, the children will grow out of rebellion, big misconception. Uh, Proverbs 29, 15. Um, the rod of, and reproof give wisdom, uh, but a child left to himself brings his mother to shame. Um, one of the misnomers is children will just outgrow their rebellion. But ultimately, if they get left unchecked, unhelped, um, uh, I know I'm running out of time. Number eight, real quick, misconception that spanking causes stress and turmoil. Uh, I'd say that that's uh, uh, opposite of true. Uh, Parents today as a whole are a wimpy lot as I see it. Uh, They fear confrontation with their children. They fear being rejected by their children. They're even afraid that their children won't love them. Um, this insecurity in parents causes, um, you know, the dread of tears and they seek to avoid crying at all costs. Um, and Proverbs twenty nine seventeen says, correct thy son and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto your soul. Um, God says that uh, disciplining children creates a peaceful home. Um, and if you are a man who's allowing the wife to do all the disciplining, I understand that there's an age where maybe mom's better uh, when they're littler. But man, there's a point where you gotta step up as a man and say, I'm taking that, that over. I remember the day my mom said no more, uh, spanking. She even said, Brett, I'm not gonna spank you anymore. I'm like, great. She said, your dad's gonna do it from here on out. <laughs> it, was that, it was that time I got a spanking when, uh, when I, I, I almost chuckled a little bit because her spanking was so weak. And I was like, she thinks this hurt me. Ha, wah, ha, ha, And I, I remember doing it and, and, and she's like, okay, that's it, your dad's doing it for me. I was like, oh no, great. Cause my dad knew how to make it, make it smart just a little bit more if you know what I mean. But parenting God's way still works and, and, and how we need husbands to step in. Well, Brett, my wife is anti-spanking. It's time for you to open the Bible with your wife. You can go on YouTube and, and re-watch this and write down the scriptures that I just gave you about. The Bible is, is about as clear on this as anything. Uh, that you spare the rod, you're gonna ruin your children. If you spare the rod, you actually hate your children. You say, I don't hate my children, but you're doing something that is like a hateful act by not steering your kids in a godly, biblical manner. Um, I just sense the need more than ever that men need to step up like Joshua and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
whether that's through spanking. I know I talked a lot about spanking. I did uh, reluctantly, but I think it's important. I think that's what the Lord wanted me to share. But I also think that just men standing up and saying, we're gonna do this. We're gonna step up and serve the Lord, being examples of the believers and not let the society push us all back and make us a cower, uh, even though we know what the Bible says is true. May the Lord give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church, amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, how we thank you so much for uh, biblical truth. Uh, Lord, we see how the world pushes against your word over and over again, but we find your word ringing true every single time. And so Father, we pray your blessing on this group of men, on the guys watching online. Um, Give us strength and love Uh, Help us to act with courage and with discipline, um, but love, Lord, I pray that would all be part of the deal. So help us with this. And when our spirit is willing and our flesh becomes weak, when we don't know what to do, would you, by your spirit, give us strength to be the men you've called us to be. This we pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen.